best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com, the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz Ben Anderson is out today, so with me I've got my friend Marcos Aragon, also a KSL.com contributor, uh, and he's gonna gonna get me through the show. We got we got two hours of great basketball talk, and honestly, a really good team to talk about. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to uh, to you steer the ship. I'll just make sure nobody goes overboard. Marcos is a has previously been featured on ESPN's First Take, so this is the perfect yeah. platform for him, is, is sports radio and, and hot takes in general. So that was, It was about a year ago. I didn't actually get to meet Stephen A., however, I would have loved to listen to him yell in person. I think <laughs> been, that would have been amazing. Uh, we've also got J.P. Chunga producing us, bringing us in uh, with, that, with, the, with the beats, if you will. Um, but let, let's get into it. Oh, well, before we do, though, let me welcome in your guys's uh, input here. So you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson or Marcos, what's your, your Twitter handle? Uh, it's M-A-R-A-G-O-N underscore XV. Maragon underscore XV. Underscore 15. Yep. Is that 15? It was 15. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then again, I'm at Andy B. Larson. You can also call us if you'd like. Uh, anyone can be a guest on the show by calling 877-353-0700. We'll take your call, answer your questions, whatever you want to talk about. Um, later on in the show, we have Dan Clayton joining us in the 8 o'clock hour. He's a Salt City Hoops associate editor and overall very smart basketball guy, currently a contributor for FanRag uh, NBA's coverage as well. And then uh, Eric Woodyard, the brand new beat writer for the Deseret News, joins us at 7.30 and we'll get... Kind of welcome him into our our community a little bit and and get his 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 jazz hot takes. So uh, and Eric good. Eric's uh he's made a popular uh no a splash so far. Even my mom knew who he was. So that's oh, wow. uh, yeah she I, he's from Detroit, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, my mom was right. So he's uh, I guess he's from Flint. So Flint yes. is not quite Detroit, but or, I'm yeah. sorry, Michigan is what. It, yeah, Mich- yeah, yeah, but yeah. Flint, Michigan. Um, Flint, Michigan, Mega Bowl. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk to Eric about that and how he ended up here in Utah and again, his, his impressions on the Jazz on his first week on the job. So, but let's get into last night, the three game winning streak that the Jazz are on. Uh, and, you know, kind of trying to figure out the biggest question early in the NBA season is trying to figure out what's real and what's not, right? Uh, and with the Jazz, there's a whole lot there, but maybe nothing is more surprising than Ricky Rubio. Yeah. Um, talk about last night being just that, that standard, you know, typical Rubio game. We can expect 30 points, you know, not a lot of assists. You know, he, he had he, one assist. One assist. That's a, that's, that's a Ricky Rubio stat line. Right. Ricky, I mean, obviously this, this won't shock anyone, but Ricky Rubio has never had a game with 30 points and one assist before. Um, he's only had two games of 30 points and, uh, I think he's only had two games in which he had one assist. So. Yeah. Uh, last season he had a 30 point game and it was against the Lakers. And then, uh, that was his highest scoring game of the season last year. His second highest scoring game was against the Jazz. It's funny, like we, going into the season, we wondered, can Ricky Rubio keep it up to be what he was at the end of last season? Yep. And you asked Ricky that, and he said, not only do I think I can keep that up, I think I can be better than I was then. And, you know, I, I think it's fair to be skeptical about what he said then and, and how good of a player he was at the end of last season. Because, again, you, you have five and a half years before that that kind of uh, said that that wasn't likely to last. But, yep. you know, through eight games here in Utah, 
you're talking about a player who's all of a sudden averaging 17.5 points per game. Um, the, the assists are down kind of like we thought they would be in Quinn's system. They're from 9.1 to 6.5. He's also turning the ball over a, a heck of a lot more. 4.4 turnovers per game compared to 2.6. But he's been a much more aggressive player than we've ever seen Ricky Rubio be. And, you know, to be frank, the Jazz needed it last night in a, in a game where they were really struggling to get offense. Yeah. Um, and you know, Ricky Rubio, his concerns, I'm sorry, his turnovers concern me. Not nearly as much, though, as um, if he can keep up the scoring output because the Jazz themselves are not scoring a lot of points. He's actually the team's leading scorer, so that's uh, a little bit concerning as well. Yeah, so uh, that's... And again, like... I never would have seen that coming that Ricky would be the team's leading scorer as well as the team's leading shooter to, to take that many shots. But, you know, honestly, again, percentages of, of 43% from the field and, uh, 37% from three are, are great. You know, that's, that's, yeah. it's, I don't know, it's not maybe George Hill, but it, it's pretty, for a point guard and taking that many threes, it, it's pretty, pretty dang efficient yeah and he's on the floor hopefully more than george hill was last year so if we can get the 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 time out of him that we need then you know i think we'll be fine there's some reason uh some reasons for concern is that a he's just not going to shoot this well from mid-range no no for the rest of the season so he's shooting 66 percent from 10 to 16 feet away from the hoop no player has ever done that for a whole season yeah it's it's just not going to happen that's clearly uh, too good to be true. Yeah. He's also shooting 53% from 16 feet to the three-point line. Again, no player has done that. It's too good to be true. So I think it's fair to expect those two-point percentages to come down, and probably, honestly, the three-point percentage as well, yeah. given that he hasn't done this in his career. Yeah. And sure, he's more confident, but uh, you know, he's still got the flat stroke. You can see that it, it is really... A, it, there's, there's not a lot of arc on that shot. And when it, it doesn't go, you know, directly in the middle of the basket, that's, it's not the, he doesn't have the touch to get it to roll around and, and go in, if that makes sense. Yeah. He doesn't have that shooter's touch now. Um, but you mentioned that his three point percentage is something that we can monitor at least over the year. I mean, this, he's taken 5.4, uh, threes a game, which is the highest in his career too. The, the flexibility and the freedom within Quinn Snyder's offense. I think he's, um, he may not have, an extremely high scoring rest of the year, but I think he can maintain some pretty solid numbers uh, throughout it. Yeah, I, and I, I agree with that. So I think you, it's reasonable to expect the percentages to go down. You probably think that as Rodney Hood comes back and is more healthy, maybe he's going to be using fewer possessions. Honestly, once he, in Quinn Snyder's words, stops throwing the ball all over the court, um, he's going to be using fewer possessions just because you know that's just so many turnovers. Um, but so long as he can keep those down and he, he did last night, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm pretty, I, I, this isn't the final Ricky Rubio we, we're going to see and he's not going to average 17.5 points per game, but it, it should be pretty, um, it, it should be his best season. I think that's not unreasonable to expect. Do you think the, uh, the new hair and the tattoo have anything to do with that? He says yes. Good. Uh, <laughs> Because, I mean, his dad certainly said yes. His dad noticed that when he plays with the man bun, it didn't go so well in the preseason. And then since then, he's been playing with his hair down with the long mane, and it's worked a lot better for him. It, whatever works. You know, sometimes I have to wear a little uh, little sweatband to keep the hair out of my face. Okay. My hair is certainly not nearly as long as his. No, yeah. I, so, you know, whatever is working for Ricky, he should keep it up. Um, Ricard Rubio, by the way, is what Ricky stands for. It's not Ricardo. It's just Ricard. Ricard. Fun, okay. fun fact. That is a fun fact. Uh, the other thing I'm curious about, Ricky, and again, from a statistical point of view, is 
remember when the Jazz acquired Ricky and he, Dennis Lindsay said that he th- thought Ricky Rubio could be a 2017 version of Jason Kidd. Um, I don't remember that one, but I, I don't know about that. That's You said it. Here's the thing. Go look at Jason Kidd's stats sometime. And, in fact, I'll tell them to you right now because, you know, you're probably driving and can't look up basketball reference on your phone right now. <laughs> uh, Jason Kidd's best season was probably either his, his age 24 season in Phoenix or his age 27 season in Phoenix. And, and Ricky Rubio is 27 right now. Yeah. Uh, just turned 27 12 days ago. Happy belated Ricky. birthday. <laughs> so that year with the Phoenix Suns, his, 27, uh, his age 27 season, Jason Kidd averaged 16.9 points a game, 9.8 assists per game, and 6.4 rebounds per game on 41% shooting from the field, 29% shooting from three, and 81% shooting from the free throw line. Now, uh, Ricky Rubio's percentages are better than that, and like we talked about, they're going to fall. But if he keeps scoring like he has, you know, certainly you don't need to average, get 30 every night, but if you can average, it does seem reasonable that he could average 17 a night yeah, based so, on how he's played so far. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't think the assists will get there because, again, Quinn Snyder's system doesn't really set him up to take a lot of assists, yeah. um, which is, which is kind of weird. But I think, you know, it's probably reasonable to expect he'll be in the 7 to 8 range. Yeah. And he's not going to get that many rebounds. No, no. But he's not that far away. Yeah. Jason Kidd, maybe the hot take here is Jason Kidd was not as good of a player as everyone thinks that he was. That is a very hot take. But, um, no, I mean, I don't know if I can see the Ricky Rubio, Jason Kidd. I mean, Jason Kidd did a lot, um, more than, I mean, rebounds, for one, we just, you just said it. Ricky Rubio is not going to get that many rebounds. And honestly, the Jazz themselves aren't really getting a lot of rebounds right now. Rebounding has been an issue for the team. Um, well, we can see if that changes over the course of the season as well, but, um, I, I'm not too sure I see Ricky Rubio as, uh, Jason Kidd. He's closer to rebounds than I thought too. He's averaging five a game this season so far. Yeah. Um, Jason Kidd's at six. I mean, t- like, it's, it's not that far off. I get, I, yeah, I get you. Statistically, he's very close. So what, what is it then? Is it the eye test, Marcos? Like what? I, I don't see the same, um, way that a play out of the two of those two. I mean, I think uh I think Ricky Rubio if he, I mean if he averaged one more rebound, great, but it's it's how he how he handles the rebounds, the way that he can move the ball and transition, the way yeah. that they work. Um I guess you could somewhat say that that's comparable to kid, the way that they can operate uh and transition and things like that, but I I don't know. I just don't see it. Maybe it's maybe it's the millennial in me, and I just don't really remember Jason Kidd too much, um, other than as a head coach. Or okay, fair. <laughs> and you know, I think and you, millennials, we, yeah, can't can't trust them further than you can grow up. Uh, and yeah, I think we kind of remember late career Jason Kidd more than we do early career, um, because of you know honestly he was on some better teams. Although peak Jason Kidd made it to the finals. Yep, we we can't complain too much about that with the Nets. Um. Let's, uh, by the way, you can join, jump in on this conversation at Andy B. Larson or at, uh, MA, what is it? Maragon underscore XV. Okay. It's kind of confusing. Um, it's fine. It's all good. Uh, if you have any questions or, or comments on the Ricky Rubio thing, please chime in. You can also call us 877-353-0700. I also want to ask a, a, another, about another player, uh, and that's Rodney Hood. Yes. Who last night was 0 for 11. 
which kind of put a damper on what actually was a pretty good shooting start for him uh, this season. I, I wrote last night in my triple team, that's the article I do after every game on KSL.com, that I thought this was going to be an interesting season for, for Rodney Hood because it would ask him to kind of expand ex, expand his boundaries as a player, right? Yeah, most definitely. He's obviously asked to be a number one scorer um, and you know worked with Johnny Bryant over the offseason to try to become that with Gordon Hayward leaving. Exactly. He hasn't shown that ability so far. Uh, I would agree. Um, I really thought that the Johnny Bryant offseason workout was going to be big for Rodney Hood um, in the same way that it was big for Gordon Hayward's jump last season. But we have yet to see the jump from Rodney Hood. And, um, you know, was he was he he wasn't sick last night, right? Was it the the stomach flu or whatever? No, I I mean, I didn't get a chance to talk to him because, quite frankly, he left the locker room really quickly after last night's game. Um, But, yeah, it's... um, I, he seemed f- fine from a health point of view. He did say that his calf had, was still hurting him last Monday. Yep. So maybe that's still a part of it. But honestly, it's it's just that he's uh, – part of it, last night he was just missing shots, right? He was just 0 for 11 from the field, only took one three-point shot. But unlike Gordon Hayward and unlike some you know actual legitimate scores you can maybe depend on night to night um, – Rodney Hood can't get himself to the free throw line. He yeah. averages only 2.2 free throws per game um, and, and really has been there for his whole career. We haven't seen him be able to get to the line more frequently that you know would would mean that he could be a good scorer. Yeah, he's uh, always been more of a jump shooter, uh, hanging out around the three-point line, um, you know, around the key as well. But he, I've, I never really remember him being a... Slash an attack and try and get himself to the free throw line because he's not. Yeah, that's why you don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, just doesn't do it. Now, uh, you know, and and that was kind of what he said he worked on this season. And again, maybe if the injury kind of slowed that down, maybe the sickness meant that he never got you know the kind of the rhythm he wanted, whatever that is. Um, but he's got to figure it out quickly. And you know, it's it's kind of hard for me to. Okay, first of all, he doesn't have to figure it out quickly because he is a good shooter. He's still an important part of this Jazz offense. And heck, on Monday night, he scored 25 points. Like, I might be being too harsh on the guy. Um, but I think there is a difference between, again, that, that shooter who can score zero one night and 25 the next and a consistent, reliable scorer who, you know, can get you points when, when nothing's really going well. And honestly, the Jazz probably need the latter with the, the other offensive talent that they have. I get you. Would you say, um, I mean, looking at the box score last night, Rodney Hood was only in for 20 minutes, too. I mean, his, his shooting yeah. kept him out of the game. And that Donovan was a, Mitchell outplayed him, right? I know 35, or yeah, 35 minutes. Donovan Mitchell's been outstanding this rookie year. Um, and in a time where Rodney Hood should be shining and should be, uh, thriving, scoring more, you know, Donovan Mitchell looks like he's really ascending, ready to take his spot almost. That could be my hot take for the day. Ooh. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Donovan's best with the bench right now just because honestly, he takes so many opportunities offensively, takes so many shots, and, and honestly, yeah. a lot of them are bad shots. That's why he's shooting something like 35% from the field or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. 35%. Look at me. Um, but I, if he's taking those shots away from the starting unit, it may be more of a problem. If he's taking those shots away from the bench unit, guys like, you know, Ekpe Udo and, and Alec Burks, I have less of a problem with it. Yeah. I guess I, I can see your reasoning there. Yeah, that's the second um, lineup that they've gone with um, out on the floor the most is 
the Favors, Gobert, Ingles, Mitchell, Rubio lineup, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to their normal starter lineup. But I think Mitchell, throughout the course of the year, um, he's I think he's going to explode, and I think he's going to be he he could very well be a starter at the end of the year if he keeps up uh, some sort of pace. I think. Yeah, taking and honestly, I think that would come rather than taking Rodney Hood's place in the rotation. Uh, I think that's it would be more likely that that comes after a trade of some sort. You know, okay. Rodney Hood being a free agent at the end of this season, you've got to pay him his money. That's a good point. Maybe some other team wants to take on his restricted free agency rights so that the Jazz, you know, the Jazz don't end up paying him the, the 15 to $20 million a year that he wants and, and reasonably expects from, from this free agent market. Yeah. Maybe, you know, you get an asset, let Donovan take that shooting guard role and, and see if you can kind of move it forward, if you will. Yeah. Would you say, I mean, this might be even more of a stretch, thinking about going back to this Rodney Hood, uh, the way that he's been playing kind of this year, and not now, now he doesn't go to the free throw line. J.R. Smith-like, you know? Yeah. No, I, I used that exact comparison in the triple team last night. Oh. Um, so thanks for reading. No. Yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, World that's, series. <laughs> that's kind of like my go-to player for a shooting guard who's mostly a shooter, um, can is athletic, can get a shot off him everywhere, anywhere. Jared Smith was better at attacking the rim early in his career yep. um, than Ronnie Hood is showing now. Yep. And so, you know, maybe he maybe he ages differently, I guess I would say. But I, I think, honestly, Ronnie Hood right now and Jared Smith right now are actually pretty comparable players. Okay. I'm glad that we were at least on the same brave yeah. length, and even though I must, I missed the triple theme last night. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're forgiven. Uh, JP, did you read it? Ah... No no faith, no love here. Andy, the running Utes were on our air here on ESPN 700. Okay. What was I clued in on? That. That? No, I'm I'm just saying you had 22 hours or whatever we are to to catch up on that. I'll read it now. Do you want that? I I seem like such yeah. a diva right now, by the way. During the next commercial break, I'll I'll peek in. Um we've got a couple of different questions on Twitter, by the way. Um, at Dixon underscore D, at what point do we get to hear Shane Foster tonight? The I can't wait to play in the NBA song. JP will get it queued up for us for one of these segments coming up. <laughs> um, Adam Mason, 04, asks, when you, when you have your segment on Donovan, can one, can he, can one, uh, develop the ability to become a one foot jumper? So I think he's asking, can anyone become, uh, a one foot jumper? And, you know, especially Donovan. Um, I think my answer to that, and we'll we'll go ahead and answer it now. I think my answer to that is it's going to be difficult for him to become a one foot jumper quickly. So I, I I don't think that we should expect him to be good at finishing around the rim for the next two to three seasons. Yeah, honestly, you know that it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of learning about how defenders are are defending the paint differently in the NBA, and we see it all the time. Donovan Mitchell's short, right? Like he, he yeah, finds himself around the rim and unless he is able to bounce off those two feet in exactly the way that he wants to, like he did in, in the Lakers dunk, he can't get up high enough to finish around NBA length. Yeah. Um, so he's got to figure out how to be more crafty and again, be that one foot jumper. I don't think, I think he's always going to prefer two feet because again, you know, he's been doing it his whole life. Uh, he can get better at jumping higher off his, off that one foot. And it is something that I know that the Jazz are working with him on. And he will have to get better at one foot finishing, which I think is the, the real, um, thing to look at. Yeah. As you mentioned before, his shooting percentages isn't very high and he's missing a lot of these shots. A lot of the shots that he's missing around the rim, I think are shots that he will 
develop later on. Um, learning how to absorb contact is a big thing and control your body and being able to finish around the rim. I think Donovan Mitchell can can learn that, but it, I agree with you. It's going to take just a little bit of time to learn that sort of thing. Joseph Horner asked on Twitter, um, also Rubio, Gobert, and Ingles are in the bottom 10% of the league at their position in turnovers. This, by the way, is from Ben Falk's excellent site, cleaningtheglass.com, where he kind of compares each player to all of the players at their position. Mm-hmm. Joe Ingles is in the second percentile in terms of turnovers. Ricky Rubio is also in the second percentile, and Rudy Gobert is in the ninth percentile in terms of uh, how often he turns the ball over as a center. So those are, yeah, the the turnovers is the biggest problem for this offense, and you know I think it, it's reasonable to think that that's going to continue to be a problem given how late the Jazz go in shot clock and honestly how many passes they have to try to they have to try to force in order to get a good sh- shot. I don't think it's going to be that bad. There's no, uh, there's no history in Ricky Rubio's career about him being a second percentile guy in turnovers. You know, he's, I think he's going to be an average turnover guy. Um, I think Joe Ingles has always been a little bit too loose with the ball and that's what he's been his entire career. Yeah. Again, second percentile is probably too low. Um, and Rudy Gobert, that's a good question. I mean, it's, he, Two seasons ago, he was very iffy at catching the ball. Um, right now, Ricky Rubio is kind of throwing the ball behind him a lot, and mm-hmm. then that Rudy ends up getting credited for those turnovers because he touches the ball and then kind of loses it. Yeah. Um, so I think that will, again, that will improve, but I think it's fair to say that it, Rudy will probably be one of the higher turnover centers in the league. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised right now that Donovan Mitchell isn't uh, turning over the ball more than more than he is. I mean, he's right in the middle in terms of how many turnovers he has for a combo guard. Yeah, and back to um, back to the turnovers thing. Yeah. Uh, with with this new off, I mean, with having to integrate a couple new pieces and allowing uh, Joe Ingles to, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Ricky Rubio, uh, Ricky Rubio to pass the ball a lot more. Um, I think the turnovers are going to, I think that this is just early season offense and this is something that can be worked out, um, you know, in the next few months. I mean, I, they, they, they have a chemistry when they're on the court, um, and when they make plays, you know, they're, they're really good plays. It's just they so happen to turn the ball over trying to make the extra play sometimes. Yeah, that, that's really been the problem a lot of times, especially in that Phoenix Suns game where they just, it seemed like they would get an open shot and decide that it wasn't good enough for them and then they would drive to the basket and turn it over or step out of bounds or pass, you know, make the extra pass and, and have that be intercepted. Um, the last two games they've only had 14 turnovers, which is obviously a big improvement. Yeah. One other question before we go to break. Dustin Jensen asks, any word on when we can stream Utah Jazz games? Uh, there's not word. My latest update on this came out before the season, uh, basically that the streaming had been delayed. So there are kind of two different streaming things to watch for here. The first one is when the AT&T Sportsnet app will come out. Mm-hmm. That will allow current cable and satellite subscribers with their login and password to go in, watch the Jazz games through that app. Okay. Um, then kind of the second date is when the over-the-top streaming of, you know, whatever that looks like comes in. Um, and that would be for people who don't have a cable or satellite subscription to, you know, whatever channel, the, the AT&T Sportsnet channel, um, whatever package gets that. People who don't have that subscription can get something like DirecTV Now or PlayStation View or YouTube TV or Sling whatever and stream Utah Jazz games. Um, I would say that if everything works out well, it'd be nice to see that over-the-top option 
sometime this season, which is a massive delay over what they said over the summer. Um, every it's 27 out of 30 NBA teams have this and that AT&T Sportsnet can't get their act together and figure this out is a little bit embarrassing. It's actually not the Jazz's fault at all. They've just signed over the rights to AT&T Sportsnet for the next nine years or sorry, for a nine year contract six years ago. But it's uh, frustrating for Jazz fans. Uh Reddit doc like, yeah. do, they, do they have Utah Jazz games on Reddit like NBA streams on Reddit or anything like that? They're We're, just totally not on the air anymore. That's 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 illegal. Yeah, we just oh. we just got cut off. Um, but anyway, yeah, not, not that we endorse that. We do not endorse illegal streaming, but you know, anyway. So hopefully they give us a a legal option to watch these Jazz games. Um, soon the, again, this is something that AT and T Sportsnet said that they would deliver this year. And uh, for whatever technical reason they have not been able to do so, it's very sad. All right, we got to take a break. Um, coming up on the next segment, we've got new Deseret News beat writer Eric Woodyard joining us. Um, he's going to be talking about the Jazz and his first couple of weeks here in Salt Lake City next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. I can't wait to play in the NBA. That's a former Dallas Mavericks second round pick, Shane Foster, with the uh, excitement to play in the NBA. The saddest story in the entire world that I know of in the NBA is Shane Foster because he's saying that right after he was drafted and then never played in the NBA. Uh, I, I have cried watching that video and knowing that fact. It is, it is devastating. Uh, also another fun Shane Foster fact, the Jazz traded for him in, I believe it was 2011 and, uh, he retired a non-Jazz man because again, he never made it to the NBA, but hmm. the Jazz still own his draft rights, believe it or not. So maybe he can come out. He can come, come out and fill some minutes. Yeah. Well, if if it gets to that, it's uh, bad. He, is, he has since retired. Anyway, let's get Eric Woodyard on the show instead of talking about uh, random second round draft picks. Uh, Eric is the new Utah Jazz beat writer for the Deseret News. Eric, how are you? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Pretty good. Doing well. Uh, it's good to have you here in Salt Lake. Can I ask you how how you're enjoying it so far? It's been great, man. I've been thrown in the fire right away, but. Uh... It's been really great, uh, adjusted to, uh, to Utah. Um, it's been, uh, been really good. I haven't had no complaints, man. I've been welcomed with open arms, so it's been great. All right. Tell me, tell me about the throwing it into the fire part, I guess. Uh, that, <laughs> how, yeah, so, how are your first couple of games, uh, covering the team? How have they been? So it was crazy. Like Saturday, uh, I, I, I arrived in town. I missed two, I missed two, uh, two flights coming from Michigan. Okay. And, uh, I got here at halftime in the Lakers and, uh, and Jazz, and I like came right to work, so. I still covered the the game. Um, I had to write a, a feature profile on Kyle Kuzma, who's also from my hometown of Flint, Michigan. Yep. So from then, it's kind of been nonstop. I mean, I've just been been on the go. I haven't haven't even really took a breath, honestly, just not getting my apartment and everything together. Can you kind of give us an idea of like what your your NBA background is? You know, how, how long you've been watching basketball? What's what's your team? You know, who was your team growing up? Um, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, my NBA background. Uh, I've always been an NBA fan. Uh, at some point, I realized I couldn't play in the NBA, so <laughs> I figured writing would be pretty good. But <laughs> okay. um, you know, growing up, uh, I was a big fan of uh, Michigan State basketball. 
Um, I don't know if you guys follow college, but in 2000, you know, Tom Izzo led uh, the Spartans uh, to the national championship, and it was three guys from Flint on the team, Mateen Cleves, Morris Peterson, and Charlie Bell, and those guys really inspired me because um, they would always come back home and play in the Pro-Am League and bring a lot of random NBA guys like Jason Richardson and Zach Randolph and Chucky Atkins, and they would just bring a lot of random guys uh, back to Flint. So that's when I really, really fell in love with the game. And uh, <clears throat> watching those guys, they've always been great mentors to me. Uh, really, Mateen, and, you know, that's that's like a big brother to me. So that's really when I fell in love with the game, when I, you know, I really fell in love with the Flintstones and that 2000 Michigan State basketball team. Uh. So, you, again, you've been here for two games, two and a half games, I guess, because you got it in that halftime for that Saturday game, right? Yeah. Uh, but tell me, what what your what are your first impressions about this Jazz team? Oh, man, I love it. I really love uh, I love the rookie, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, he's, been, he's been playing really well. And just, uh, I did, it, it's really laid back. It's not like a really, um, some markets can be really, really pushy. You know, mm-hmm. this market is really cool. I really like it. Um, honestly, it's, it's been kind of a smooth transition. It's still so early, though. I haven't even been here a full week. <laughs> I probably I don't even know how many stories I wrote. I wrote a lot, but you know I'm just trying to get in and uh, find my way. You know, not step on nobody's toes, but also uh, show that I'm serious. So hopefully I can you know earn the respect of my peers and the city of Utah as well. Do you have a favorite interview or a favorite story you've ever written? Yeah, my favorite uh, my favorite interview was probably with LeBron James. Mm. Okay, um, I did a story on him. Uh, <clears throat> he had, he had came to uh, Oakland University one time which is where Kay Felder played the rookie. Uh, well, he was a rookie for the Cavs. Now he's uh, second year with the Chicago Bulls. But um, Kay, when, when LeBron James made a surprise visit to Oakland University, uh, I was on top of that. I interviewed him and uh, one of his best friends on the coaching staff at Oakland University. So um, during that interview, you know, I got a, I got a chance to have a one-on-one interview with LeBron James, which is crazy. So, uh, he's like a legitimately – I mean, I've never done a one-on-one with him, but every yeah. time I've, you know, been in a scrum with him, he's, he's – Gives such legitimately like engaging and thoughtful answers. It, it, it's yeah. surprising with how much media he has to deal with that yeah. he he answers in the way that he does. Yeah, but it's a game. Of, it's a game of chess too. Because it, like the first question I asked him, or first two questions I asked him, you know, you could feel him like just giving me media answers. But like once I start hitting him with facts that I research, you know, like how he hit like the like in like in elementary school, like him and his friend was on the same team, and like his friend one time hit like the game winner, you know, ahead of him, man. You know, like the first time he had a triple-double, um, he wrote his best friend's mom's name on his shoe. So I knew a lot of details from doing a lot of research. And, you know, from then, he knew I was serious about what I was doing. And then, you know, I got a really good interview with him. So it was cool. Does uh, does LeBron James really have that big of a posse? I met somebody that met him uh, on a commercial <clears throat> and said that his posse was deep. No, I'm not even going to call it a posse. You know, that's that's, uh, that's not really a good word to say. I, I think – um, people had that misconstrued because a lot of his friends like actually have like key roles in this in his inner circle. He just sent a lot of his friends through school. So I mean, most of the guys you see like Rich Paul's agent. You know, you see him hanging out with J.R. Smith when I was there. J.R. Smith was there, and uh, Randy. I think his name is Randy Means. Um, he, he he doesn't hang with a with a lot of guys. He was about maybe two or three guys, and mostly everybody that he's around. He's, he grew up with an actor in his whole life, so it's pretty cool. Can I ask you, uh, I know you're working on a story, or, or maybe it's, I, I don't think it's come out already, but I know you're working on the story on uh, Tabo Cephalosha's shoes. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I can't give you a lot of my stuff, man. I, <laughs> I can't give it to you all. I'm going to let you all see it, though, but it's coming along. It's going to be really, really cool. Okay. You know, everybody, I want you all to read it and check it out. And really, uh, It's going to be cool. It's going to be some insight you know, behind it, and uh, 
hopefully uh, everybody like here. I'll, I'll tell our listeners what I know at least, and and then I'll have them read your your story for the rest. But uh, Tavo Cephalosha wears Nike Air Maxes, which are are not shoes designed for basketball. It's it's not as bad as playing in like flip flops, but uh, there's there's no ankle support there. Uh, it's it's a unique choice. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's gonna be a cool story. I hope you guys read it. And I hope you guys like it. Cool. Uh, well, uh, tell everyone where they can read your work, Eric, or and also follow you on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'm on Twitter, um, e underscore Woodyard, W O O D Y A R D. I'm also on Instagram, um, and uh, I work for the Desert News. So I'm trying to, um, you know, uh, give us a great culture there. You know, and uh, I, I'm not sure, you know, coming in how the perception was of everything, but I just know what I'm bringing to the table. And, um, just, just want to come in and be myself, man. I'm not trying to be nobody else. Like I really want to be myself and I hope you guys, uh, take me for who I am. I'm from Flint, Michigan. Y'all can always see me rapping Flint. And, you know, while I'm listening, y'all better watch out for Michigan State. Miles Bridges, you know, cover of Sports <laughs> Illustrated. You know, he's the next big Flintstone to come out of, uh, my hometown. So, you know, guys pay attention to him. But yeah, I'm going to just always be myself and, uh, try to do the best I can. I'm not going to, pretend to know something and I don't. I'm still learning about Utah, but I hope you guys like what I'm doing. Uh, I just want to uh, leave an impact here. Just how, I did, just how I did in Flint and how I did in college as well. So that's what I'm looking to do. Well, we're happy to have you here, and uh, we, we work out of the same, the same building, the, the KSL Desert News building, so I'll see you around. Everyone, that's that's, sure. that's Eric Woodyard, uh, new jazz beat writer for the Desert News, joining us. Um, again, give him a follow. At E underscore Woodyard um, is, is where you can find his work. Um I'm excited to have Eric around. Me too. Uh, it's yeah, it's a, again a new cool jazz voice, um, and and I'm sure we'll have him on the show in in future episodes. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side of it, I want to talk a little bit more about the jazz. Last week we were pretty down on Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, maybe I you know I heard from some people who listened to the show that maybe we were too harsh after a couple of bad games, and since then he's really turned it on. I want to talk more about him and and again. That early season question, what's real and what's not, next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. I'm Andy Larson, the uh, Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com, and, of course, host of the Salt City Hoop Show. Marcos Aragon, KSL.com contributor, joins me uh, today instead of Ben Anderson, who is out. Um, we've got a few minutes here to talk about – we want to talk about Donovan Mitchell um, and, of course, the rest of the Utah Jazz. As always, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson, um, and we'll read your questions on the air. And then you can also call in 877-353-0700. But I want to talk about Donovan Mitchell because he has been, I think electric is the right word, dynamic. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of, there's been up games and down games, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, And when you look at it, the overall picture is still not very pretty. You know, he's shooting 35% from the field, 31% from three, turning over the ball a lot for how much he's playing. But... I don't know that we've seen a rookie do the kind of things that Donovan Mitchell has done, even if it's only every other game right now. Yeah, I think I think Mitchell is. I, I mean, I don't think it was. 
unjustifiable to be a little bit hard on him at first. Um, but there are going to be right, some. Because he, I mean, statistically, when we did the show last week, he was the worst player in the NBA. I mean, <laughs> do you just, he was taking a ton of shots. You know, he was, uh, you know, he had games like one for three, you know, his first five box score lines are three for 11, one for seven, one for seven, seven for 20, and then another one for seven game. Yeah. That's when we did the show, right? Yeah, like that's when he was shooting twenty one percent from the field. Now he's put together two of his last three games have been a lot better. Nine out of sixteen uh, against the Lakers for twenty two points. Three of eight against Dallas on Monday, and then last night was great. Twenty eight points, obviously a career high. Nine for twenty one shooting, uh, and really had some key points. He scored the first five points of overtime, for example, and and you know kept the Jazz in it a little bit um, when when the rest of the offense was really struggling. It was a plus fourteen too. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think that's, you know, it, it's, I, again, this is a line I've used before, but it's just so the opposite of what Dante Exum's did as a rookie, oh, right? Yes. You know, where Dante was just so afraid to contribute in every, any way and yep. was just kind of focused on being solid defensively, but was terrified of turning the ball over and making a mistake. Donovan makes so many mistakes, guys. Like, he, you watch him play defense, and he's too over-aggressive. He's helping off guys where he shouldn't. I mean, he gave J.J. Barea multiple straight-line drives to the rim. Yep. Uh, and then on offense, he's making a ton of mistakes, too. I mean, honestly, he's driving into guys. But he shows so much in, in his ability to score um, that you you feel confident taking the mistakes because of what he's giving you when when it is good and again he's been a, a good shooter when he uh, at times um, he's had stretches where he's just taken games over we obviously saw the dunk against the Lakers which might be the dunk of the year with how high he got yeah uh, and you know just really the total scoring package in terms of where he's getting where he's pivoting where he's cutting um, he's shown that he can be a really smart player. Yeah, I see uh, with Mitchell the growth. Um, over the next couple of months, he's been really good um, at times, at stretches, like you said. I mean, he takes over games. The shooting is something that I think will work itself out. It's like letting, uh, when you're first learning to drive, like you got to let you gotta let uh, your kid out, maybe hit a couple of walls or something I, i've definitely <laughs> scratched up a lot of my parents cars okay so i mean in order for him to grow these are the growing pains these are the mistakes that he i think is going to have to go through and I'm, and I'm and i think i'm fine with him doing it i think i'm okay with his mistakes as long as he can work them out over the course of the year the the point that you made about exum being afraid was that that was that's a great contrast because exum he came in and I thought he was going to just kind of take over and then it just never did. And then we just kept hearing and hearing that something was coming and then it never, never really got around to it. So I I'm, I'm happy to at least see Mitchell make the mistakes uh, rather than be uh, not, not made rather than right. not playing, not contributing. Right. And you know, you look at the, you look at the stats and look at which rookies end up working out and it's, Turnovers, for example, are actually a good thing because they show that ability or, I guess, willingness to make plays um, that eventually turn out to be non-turnovers, right? Uh, you know, that's if you go. There's Kevin Pelton did a study that basically shows exactly that. Donovan Mitchell again is being willing to make those mistakes, and and you know sometimes it's cost the Jazz, and there have been you know I, I think. You know, he was really down on himself after the Minnesota game. He was really down on himself after the Phoenix game. But he has a lot of reason to be excited about how he's done. And again, the two of the last three games. Uh, and then playing the Toronto Raptors at, at home tomorrow. Uh, 
the other thing with Donovan is that you know the Jazz aren't going to be a contender this year. We don't have to. We don't have to lie about that. No. Now is the time to develop him. Yeah. Now is the time to get him on the court as as much as possible. Let him make those mistakes and you know see what you've got. Yeah, absolutely. This year, you know, I I totally agree. I don't believe the Jazz will be contenders. Uh, but you're right. This is a time um to figure it out to see. What's the ceiling for Mitchell? Because I, you know, the ceiling is high. Um, to see how what what kind of steps he can take in his rookie year and uh, going forward, I think uh, you gotta you gotta let him off. You gotta let him off the leash. I've got a crazy stat for you that I just saw on Twitter, completely unrelated to the <laughs> okay. Donovan Mitchell thing. But Good. fewest days with a losing record since 1997 in the NBA. The Utah Jazz are fifth, by the way, with only 922 days with a losing record. That still seems like a lot. Um. You know, that's probably six or seven years of, of a losing record, right? Yeah. Because you've got 180 days or so in an NBA season. This, the first three years of Quinn Snyder, uh, Tyrone Corbin. Yeah, a lot of Ty Corbin years in there. Yeah, the first year of Quinn. Yeah. Um, really the first half a year. Well, I guess the whole year, though, you had a losing record. Yeah. Um, Lakers are fourth. Houston Rockets are third with 856 days. The Dallas Mavericks are second. They've been a good team for the last 20 years. Yeah. 771 days. The San Antonio Spurs have only had a losing record in the last 20 years for 48 days. You know, I've actually, I've, I've heard something like that stat. I, I didn't know what the number exactly was, but I'd seen something about that. And, uh, that's, that's mind blowing. I, I can't believe how good this team is right now. And this is, they're staying competitive against the Warriors. It's right now 78, 76 with two minutes to go in the third quarter. Uh, I can't believe how good this team is without Kawhi Leonard right yeah. now. Right? Like, you look at their lineup, this should not work. And a lot of it is because LaMarcus Aldridge has played really well after a really bad playoffs. Rudy Gay has had maybe the best recovery from a Achilles injury that we've ever seen in the yeah. NBA. I mean, from an Achilles tear, those guys don't come back from that that quickly, A. And when they do, they are worse players. The only guy, you know, there, you look at like how Kobe was when he came back. You look at, uh, Memo Kerr when he tore his Achilles and yep. how he came back. Rudy Gay is probably, this is maybe the best basketball he's ever played. Rudy Gay will always have a special place in my heart because I think he was the first athlete to ever respond to me on Twitter. So what, what, what was this interaction? What did you, did um, you like ask him something? He said something, uh, this was, I think I was, this had to have been a number of years ago. He was still, I think in, uh, Memphis and he had I, I you know I can't even honestly remember but it was years ago but he was one of the first to ever respond to me on Twitter so shout out to Rudy Gay hopefully okay he gets now, it done. now I want to like do a search and find what what you said how how long ago is this at least six years okay okay so a while it's, it's been a while it's been a minute he's probably, he's probably buried that's, in the archives at this point the beginning of Twitter yeah <laughs> um, Michael Christensen asked on Twitter, do we know when the Utah Jazz will wear their gold statement uni uniforms for the first time? Um, I will find out for you. I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. I do have other jersey news, though, Oh, um, which is that their fourth jersey, which the community jersey, I think, is I think what that's Nike's what it's called. Calling. Yep, yep. Um, NBA, what, what's the name of the website? But Conrad um, Burry is going to be releasing a mock-up of what that jersey will look like because he has seen them. Was he he was the same guy that broke the other jersey, yes. right? The gold okay, the statement. So right, exactly. And and he was pretty spot on with what yeah. that jersey looked like, yep. right? So he's clearly has some kind of source of, of what 
those jerseys look like, and we'll be releasing the Jazz's jersey along with, I think, eight other ones, maybe nine other ones, a third of the NBA tomorrow. Um, so we'll kind of get a, a look at what that jersey is going to be. I've heard, I don't know if this is true, I've heard to expect kind of orange-themed. I've heard to kind of expect arches-themed rather than mountain-themed. Um, so we're going away That's, from the nineties know. a little bit. How do you feel about that? I don't. I, I'm not a big fan of the arches. The one time I went to the arches in Moab, I wasn't a big fan. You Wait, you were family. anti the ar- you were anti Moab only, arches only because physically I didn't do a very good job of hi- hiking the heart arches. That's that's why they're very pretty to look at and they're great. They make great license plates. Okay, they, so they make good <laughs> license plates but not good jerseys. I don't think so. What would you do? You have a community. What would you do? Yeah, I I I mean everything I've heard says that these jerseys are really cool. Like. When I complained about the the yellow third jerseys, people told me just wait for the fourth one. So maybe they were they were hyping it up. We'll see. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see him soon. I, I guess tomorrow again, Conrad is going to come out with that mock up of of what he's seen and what it looks like. So. I wish I wish they would have went with the mountains. I wish they would have stuck with mountains. But I think there'll be a throwback at some point. Let's hope. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we've got Dan Clayton joining us. Um, he's the associate editor for Salt City Hoops. That's next here on ESPN 700. Listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back in to the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. Uh, so we've got Dan Clayton joining us. Let's go ahead and just bring in Dan right away. Um, oh, he's we're we're waiting for Dan. We can't bring him in yet. Um, should should we read his number on the air? Is it the wrong number that we're getting? Anyway, an we'll, APB we'll find for out. Dan. Yeah, um, Dan's great. We love having him on the show. And honestly, like, so he's based in DC, moved out to Brooklyn, but covered the Jazz for a long time. Okay, uh, as the Spanish radio voice of the Jazz. Oh, um, and then has written about the Jazz for a long time and in Salt City Hoops and everything else. So. Anyway, we'll talk to Dan momentarily. I'm told that he just missed the phone call, and uh, we're gonna try back and get it again. So can we can we touch on something that we were talking about a little bit in the break about the license plates? Our our break conversations are great. (laughs) Yeah, the license plates. You know, I thought the license plate. My favorite license plate is me and JP. We both agreed on the white license plate with Uh the skier. Uh, What are what are your thoughts on the license plates? Look, I I think so. Right now on my car, I've got the ski Utah plate. Yeah. I think the I think it depends on what car you've got, <laughs> yep. and whether or not that orange fits on your car. If it's some cars just don't need that extra spot of orange, and some of them some of them are good. I have a green car. Okay, so the orange great. arch is actually accentuated. Yeah, so it's a that's good, a complimentary color. Yeah, it's a good complement to it. That being said, I don't like the arch's license plate. Do we have Dan yet? By the way. Okay, let's bring in Dan. <laughs> Thanks, JP. Uh, Dan Clayton, everyone, joins us on the Salt City Hoop Show. Dan, how are you? I don't know how to follow that, but yeah. <laughs> what kind of license plate did you like, Dan? Uh, well, I have the uh, like ugly rust yellow and blue from New York State. So yeah, um, but but I did have the the lovely delicate arch on my car, but it was like it was like a dark gray car when I was in Salt Lake City. So see, it, to Andy's point, it complimented. Yeah, but I have a dark gray car, and I didn't think it complimented mine. I went with the, <laughs> I went with the ski, the white. I was like, "This is good enough. Let's just get out of here." It's a, it's oh, the yeah, bold you gotta pay homage arches. to beautiful Southern Utah, beautiful arches, Moab. 
come on. <laughs> we're, we're talking about this, by the way, Dan, because there is the rumor that the fourth jersey that uh, Conrad Burry is going to release a, a mock-up of tomorrow is Arches themed. So um, we'll we'll see if you know the, if like the Jazz's license plates that we see Jazz players um, wearing Arches at some point this season. I'm I'm all for it conceptually. I will say that that would be an easy idea to screw up. Yeah. So we'll see what it looks like, but I, I'm all about it. Um, I love, I mean, I've spent a huge portion of my youth and then my adult life. Um, and even now that I live in New York, when I come home, we frequently go down and take trips to Zion Bryce Arches. So I'm all about it. Let's see them before we, you know, okay. <laughs> decide that they're awesome. Cool. Should be tomorrow. Um I want to ask you, we started the show talking about Ricky Rubio, and understandably so after, you know, he put up a 30.1 assist performance, maybe the least Ricky Rubio game we've ever seen. Um, uh, I'm going to ask again that early season question, is it for real? Um, and, you know, how much of this can we expect moving forward from Ricky Rubio? Yeah, I think I think your second question is the question that I'm asking, is how much of it is for real? Because, you know, He's he's 42 shots into his 42 mid-range shots into his season. Um, he's he's hit 28 of them for 57 percent from that range, according to BasketballReference.com. Um, you know, 42 shots is not nothing. 42 shots is a good start to to say, you know, hey, there's there's something to what he's doing right now. You know what I mean? This isn't just he got hot in a game or two. 28 or 28 of 42 is nice. Um, I don't expect he's going to sustain that level all year just because very few guys can hit 57% for mid-range over the course of a season. So the question for me is how much can he sustain? Because, you know, 53.5% more or less is is uh, league average for true shooting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like if that's a level he can hit, then a, then a Ricky Rubio mid-range shot doesn't cost you points off of league average. It, and then even if you start going south of that, like if you shoot 50, is that enough that the teams that currently are just letting Rubio have that space at the eight, you know, at the free throw line extended so that two guys can, can ride to the paint on Rudy Gobert's hips? Like that's what you need is you need teams to be afraid enough of his 18-footer that they'll step out because it, it's not because you want Ricky Rubio's 18-footer. It's because you want the Rudy Gobert – shooting possession going to the rim, which right now is a 70% shot, or you want Joe Ingles open in the corner because, you know, that's a 60% true shooting shot that you might get if people feel like they have to step towards Rubio and stay with Gobert on the roll. So, you know, ultimately, I don't know what that – there's some magic number, there's some point at which teams are going to say, all right, we got to respect Rubio and, and, you know, we've got to step out on him if he's going to hit – 48% 48% of those or 50% of those or 52%. And I don't know what that number is. And it's probably, it's probably going to vary by team and how they decide to scheme for the jazz. But that's the number I'm interested in, is at, at what point the teams say, all right, we're going to guard the guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious on that too. And you know, honestly, that may be one reason why that number, while it's clearly too high to be sustainable, you know, one reason it is so high is because Ricky Rubio is just left wide open to take these kind of shots. Well, that's the thing. I, I mean, it's really easy to say that the guy, the guy's been in the year for six, the guy's been in the league rather for six years now. So his shooting is what it is, and you know it's not going to change, you know, in a marked way. 
and and so this is a hot streak and it'll regress. And you know what? That's that's probably true to some degree. But also the context is different. And this is the first time in Rudy's career that he's been probably in quite this situation in terms of having, you know, um, not only does he have one of the league's best role men, but then you know favors favors isn't isn't scoring really well really well on the roll this year. But until he until he kind of dropped a bomb last night, he didn't have a good game last night. But going into last night's game, he was also elite off the cut, which if you think about the Jazz offense, that's the shot that Favors gets by hanging out in what the Jazz call a dunker and getting the pocket pass from Rudy when the help comes. So you know what I mean? Like yeah. That's the kind of stuff that they can unlock. And, and it's, so I think that those are all reasons. Ricky Ruby's been on a, on a lottery team for six years and not a very good lottery team for most of those. So I, I think... Before we say, oh, this is all just smoke and mirrors and it'll all go away and soon he'll be back to, you know, 38% for mid-range, um, I think we need to acknowledge that his context has changed and he's, you know, got some different personnel around him, which changes his reality a little bit. Um, I, I want to ask you about Derek because I think you're you're a little bit more pro Derek Favors than I am in general. And, I, I you know, I think this has been clearly a, a, a bounce-back season from what he was last year, but... Where where are you feeling that he is contributing right now, and you know where does he still need to improve? Um, again, only eight games in. Well, I, you know, I I wish the the rim not rim finishing the pick and roll finishing specifically were better. Um, I think I expected it to be, or I, I at least expected it to be back close to what it was in the in the two year stretch he had um, before the injuries started. Um, last time I looked, which was. Before last night's game, I think he was in something in like the 40th percentile for for finishing on the roll. He was in like the 96th percentile for finishing on the cut. That dropped because again he had a kind of crummy night last night. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm interested. I think that's a question. Um, let me put it this way, and I don't mean to spoil what may be another topic for us, but like I think I think. Derek Favors' performance and what Derek Favors is going to be over the course of 2017-2018 is probably a bigger variable to drive how good the Jazz are going to be than Rodney Hood. Just because, like, I think hmm. I think wow. Hood's range is smaller. I think we're kind of um, getting a sense for, you know, Hood might Hood might vary wildly in scoring from night to night, but I think we understand the ways that Rodney Hood is going to help the Utah Jazz win games. And and with Favors, I think that that's still a little bit up for grabs. Are, are the Jazz going to see 2015 Derek Favors, or are they going to see some new version that pops corner threes all the time and you know really learns how to play off of of Rudy Gobert, or are they just going to see something that's kind of a middling player averaging 12 points a game and five or six rebounds and. Um, you know, none of those are bad answers. I, I think all of those versions help the Jazz to some degree, but uh, you know, he can't have too many stinkers like he had against Portland. I want to ask you to, and I'm now asking you a bunch of questions that I didn't like give you any prep for, so I apologize for that. But oh, uh, I love those. Are the, those are the best kind. Okay, good. I, so gotcha moment again. Thinking about favors uh, makes me think about the the, the rebounding, right? Um, which has been kind of a weird weak spot for the Jazz so far. They're they're 23rd in the league in offensive rebound, uh, offensive rebounding percentage, and they're 24th in the league in terms of defensive rebounding percentage. So you would think by starting a lineup of Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert that you'd be good enough to, to kind of dominate the glass, right? Or at least certainly be a, an above average team. Do you what do you get a sense of is is happening there? That's like the one Jazz thing that I can't figure out. So I thought I'd ask you. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And and actually, you know what I you know what I think is the most interesting part about it. Um, the Jazz have had kind of this gospel as it relates to offensive rebounds versus transition defense, and I think it was. I think it was largely driven by kind of who they had on the team and that sort of thing. And um, and, and I'm, I, I just I don't get the sense. I, I'd be interested to know if that's going to come back around for discussion with Quinn and the staff, with Quinn Snyder and the staff. Um, just because you know, so far this season, I've seen a lot of a lot of long offensive rebounds kind of bounce in front of a retreating Joe Ingles or bounce yeah. in front of a retreating Fabio Cefalosha. Um, the balls that they could probably get, and, and I'm not saying you send five guys, um, but I, I, I think the Jazz have been on that particular dichotomy, on that particular spectrum. They've erred pretty hard to the side of, you know, if you're not 6'10 or taller, <laughs> just get the heck back. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Like, the Jazz are going to be a little offensive starved this year. We've, we've seen it already, a bunch. Um, and, you know, a good way to get a good way to get some easy points is by scrapping around the rim. And I think that there's probably a way that you can achieve that without, you know, opening the floodgates on the other end. But, but obviously you can't, uh, you can't maintain a number three D rating if, um, you know, if you have a layup line happening on the other end. So we'll see how they manage that. That's the interesting part to me. And now that I said that, I have no idea if I actually answered your core question. No, it's funny. So, like, I, I think you did, and I think, you know, whenever I ask Quinn about offensive rebounds, that's what he says is, like, look, we don't care about offensive rebounds because I care about transition defense. And honestly, that has worked for the Jazz with their number three defense overall. And even this year, if you look at the unpredictable numbers, they're after a defensive rebound uh, by the other team, they're first in the league, only allowing 0.92 points per possession. So, I mean, that is that is working. It's just kind of whether or not they can do both. Two seasons ago, they did both. You know, they kind of they sent three guys back on every possession, and yet they were still third or fourth in the league in offensive rebounding. Um, not least of which because of you know, obviously you had Rudy Gobert, but then you also had Trevor Booker, who was really good at it too. Yeah, and hey, uh, speaking of transition defense, I don't think they've had a single time yet where they've messed up a Euro foul. So yeah. <laughs> I, get to, I get to stop ranting about that, too. Did you see what Donovan Mitchell's quote was on that yesterday? Oh, yeah, I did. Uh, I think uh, I think Ben yeah. I think Ben tweeted it out that he was talking about kind of just instinctually doing it, even though he'd never done it in a game before. So, you know, that's cool. And again, like, look, I get why that's a strategy. Um, and the only reason I've kind of railed against it for the last couple of years is the vast number of times that the Jazz have blown it or, right. you know, instead given up a clear path or instead realized that, like, oh, crap, we're in the penalty, so I just gave them two shots. And, you know, so it, it, stuff like that is interesting, and I, and I like watching, you know, there's a natural kind of philosophical tug of war happening there, um, you know, between between the rebounds and the getting back and between the Euro foul and the, and the trusting your defense. And those are interesting questions to me because, um, you know, I think, I think that's kind of what's happening in the league right now as we're watching teams wrestle with kind of those questions. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, those are the questions that, yeah, every coach is, is trying to make for, to decide to make for their team. And, you know, I, I really do think Quinn was, was one of the first NBA coaches who really tried to get his team to you to do that. And now I think we're seeing it more frequently around the league. Honestly, if I were the league, I would, you know, rule it out. You know, I would put in a rule that says if it's an intentional foul, there's a extra penalty because uh, it, you know, it does ruin those transition opportunities. 
Yeah, and actually, I think rule-wise, the league kind of legislated in favor of teams that do it because they added that rule um, to keep guys from James Harden, to keep yeah. guys like James Harden from just leaping as soon as they feel the contact and getting continuation on a 50-foot heave. So they're, at, they're actually kind of legislating in the direction of, you know, hey, if you're a smart team and you're playing the odds, like we're not going to penalize you with three free throws that you know the other guy didn't really earn. We're gonna, you know, so that's that's, that's good interesting because I know, I see your point. Like it, it kind of makes it less sexy basketball in a way. Yeah, um, I want to ask you. You know, we, you mentioned Rodney Hood earlier, and obviously he had the O for eleven night last night. But I'm kind of with you. I think we we kind of know who Rodney Hood is as a player, and you know, maybe we we haven't seen that leap from him that maybe some people expected in in coming into his fourth season. Yeah, um, I mean, you know. The, the consistency is a really hard thing to do. One of the things that I kept track of when Gordon Hayward was kind of growing up and, and becoming a star, I used to track his um, his average the night after he he scored 18 or more. Um, and you know, because for a while it was like you know he he started to get to 18 semi regularly, but then you know the next night he'd have 12 because 18 was kind of the top of his normal range and so you just didn't expect it back to back and and then you got to a point where he'd have 18 and the next night he might have 24 or he might have 12 or he might have two and then you know once he got to like actual stardom he got to the point where his average on the night after 18 was higher than 18 because he was just doing you know he was just stringing those together um i i looked today because spoiler alert this is going to be in my my salt city seven column tomorrow or or tonight whenever it goes up um I looked today for Hood, and and um, I won't I won't kind of spoil the surprise of what I found, but but I will just share with you the numbers on how often that happens, because since the start of last season, he um, he has had let's see, uh, he has hit the eighteen plus mark twenty two times. Okay. Um. He has been in single digits 24 times. Okay. And that doesn't count the 25 that he missed. So, you know, that's what, that's why when Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder and others started talking this summer about, oh, Rodney Hood's our number one offense, uh, our, our number one offensive option right now, I heard that and I get why they said that and I just was, I just wondered if that was actually viable. Um, I, I just, very rarely does he kind of show the aggressiveness of like I'm going to go. Not that he needs to make the offense about him, but but he just doesn't. You know, he kind of scores in the flow, or he doesn't score in the flow, and he gets shots, or he doesn't get shots, and and then obviously you know it's a make or miss league for everyone. But when you can swing as wildly as 25 one night and 0 for 11 the next night, um, you know. So that's the thing with Rodney. I, I think I think everyone just needs to. And I say this all, like, I'm not angry with Rodney. I'm not disappointed. This is sort of the year I expected to see from Rodney Hood. I think this is kind of what Rodney Hood is. He's a guy who is occasionally going to score a bunch of points um, as a kind of a tertiary scorer or or someone who kind of benefits from the offense. And then there are going to be nights where where it's not going for him. And, and And I'm not sure he has kind of the toolkit to expect much more than that from him. And that's where I wish that the other parts of his game were more consistent. The defense, for example. Yeah, exactly. Well, that you know, that's the other thing. Is I was telling someone, um, I was telling someone that like you can you can always tell when 
without looking at kind of the um, the shooting portion of the box score or the scoring portion of the box score, I can usually tell what kind of a night Rodney Hood had by seeing how many rebounds, assists, steals, etc. he had. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, I don't know, he kind of has this like hangdog mentality when he starts missing shots. And, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying, you know, whatever. Like, I think it's instinctual for anyone who plays basketball. Like, when it's not going your way, it's a little harder to kind of get mentally into defending the right way and going after the glass and whatever. So it's natural. I'm not, I'm not saying anything, you know, more profound about Rodney than the fact that, like, you know, there are just nights when, when he doesn't have it and he doesn't put it together in an all-around sort of way. And, um, and so that's, you know, it's a tough horse to hitch your cart to if if you're the jazz I, I i think they need to keep thinking about him as you know someone who can who can help the offense in bunches and and not someone who you know should have the offense built around him yeah uh the the three role player signings that kind of were announced in 48 hours this offseason the the tabo cephalosha jonas jerebko and ekpe udo signings um who's impressed you the most and, and are you I guess my big point is I'm surprised that the Jazz were able to get legitimate con- contributors for as as cheaply and as on as team friendly contracts as they are. Yeah, well that's that's true. I mean by the way, like how now that now that we're seeing basketball games and results and performances, how good of a summer did Lindsay have really? You know what I yeah. mean? Like like obviously the Jazz lost Hayward and that was a big blow and because of the timing of how they lost Hayward, they couldn't go out and get kind of a Hayward light replacement. But, um, you know, Mitchell, holy cow, Rubio is looking great, and then the three that you mentioned, um, yeah, I think you're right. I, I think what they did there was they kind of, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the summer of 2004 when they expressly stated, this was, that was Kevin O'Connor's jazz at the time, but they kind of expressly stated like, hey, we're going to go after guys who we think are undervalued because the rest of the league hasn't figured out that they're stars yet, and they went and signed Carlos Boozer and Memo Okur, and both made all-star appearances, and both were really good for the Jazz. Um, you know, Tabo, Epe, and uh, Jonas, sorry, Jonas, yeah. um, you know, those three aren't, they aren't at that level, they're not all-stars, but I think they did the same thing. They just found guys who, like, they knew were better than kind of their street value, right? Um, Epe has been playing really well in Europe, and, you know, Sometimes that translates, and sometimes it doesn't. And in Epe's case, he's figured out how to how to impact games without touching the ball much. And um, but I think the guy who, to answer your question, I think the guy who's made the the most contribution, and sometimes in a way that he doesn't even get noticed much. Man, Tavo has just been really good. Yeah, and uh, I, mean, I mean, like he he really has improved that the other parts of his game because you know in OKC he really was just a strictly spot up shooter type. He's not terrible, like, running pick and roll and stuff now. Yeah, I mean, he only takes smart shots, so mm-hmm. so he's efficient. You know, he's, he's doing well in that regard. Um, the, the main story in my Salt City 7 is going to revolve around, um, uh, I, I, think, I think we need a name for these, um, these stretches where the Jazz just, for like seven minutes to 14 minutes, just completely shut an opponent down. Yeah. And um, so you people can read later or tomorrow what I'm <laughs> what I'm <laughs> recommending there but um it but Tavo has been in the middle of almost every one of those stretches and it, literally in every one of the Jazz's five wins they've had like a quarter or or the equivalent of a quarter where their D rating was like 21 or 25 or something like that 
And in every case, you know, Thabo was right in the mix of that, you know, and he was, you know, he was getting steals or he was guarding Damian Lillard or he, you know what I mean? Like, he's just, the guy knows how to play. And speaking of great Donovan quotes, I saw the other quote last night where Donovan was really giving him credit for what was giving Thabo credit for helping the other jazz bench players understand kind of what's happening in the game so that they're ready from the second they check in to kind of influence and, and, you know, read what's happening and, you know, stuff like that. People talk all the time about getting kind of veteran help to, to steady their bench and to, to help their, their role players. One thing is getting a guy who knows how to do that. And the other thing is getting a guy who's willing to sit there on the bench and, you know, instead of checking out the cheerleaders or watching the Jumbotron or eating popcorn or whatever, like, you know, Thabo's a leader. Like, for him to sit there and say to, to Mitchell and to A.B., who, you know, hasn't always known the right thing to do defensively, for, for him to sit there and say, like, okay, see what they're doing. So when we go in, what we're going to want to do is we're going to want to adjust this way and we're going to want to make sure that we defend this action well. And, and if we do that, we'll kind of blow up the play and they'll have to reset. I mean, I, I think that Thabo is pro- has probably been more valuable than, than most people, than certainly box score watchers realize. Yeah. And so, and Donovan and Tabo's lockers are right next to each other too, both at the practice facility and at the arena. So, you know, he's kind of getting that all the time too, which is kind of cool. Oh, see, I didn't know that. That's really see? cool. Fun fact. All right. Um, well, Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we got to take a break, but it's always good to have you on. Um, we'll check out that Salt City 7. It's, it's ready and it just has to be edited. Uh, no, I'm putting the finishing. Oh, okay. On. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Well, we'll we'll get it up as soon as we can, and uh, yeah, check it out at saltcityhoops.com, and of course follow Dan at Dan Clayton, but replace that O in his name with the number zero. Um, Remember when I was changing my name and you told me that that was lame and that it was going to be too hard to explain? That was so easy. You might have been right. (laughs) (laughs) May have been right. (laughs) All right. All right. Take it easy. Thanks, Dan. Uh, like I said, we got to take a break here on the Salsa Hoop Show. But isn't Dan great, by the way? He's, he's, Dan like, was great. I love talking basketball with that guy. Yeah, that um, was brilliant. I, I miss – so he used to be – we used to do the show together, and then he moved to Brooklyn. Uh, and so, you know, we have that kind of – you know, you can tell, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's – I just kind of miss learning about basketball his, from him. His day. Favors point was actually really brilliant. I never thought about that either, that Favors is going to be somebody that we're going to have to pay a little bit more attention to rather than Hood – and how he operates within the Jazz. I thought that was thought that was smart. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's like we we know Hood's going to be probably inconsistent just because that's what he is. He's a shooter. Um, favors can be consistent, but we don't know what that level of consistency will be. Anyway, like I said, we got to take a break. On the other side, we've got more Utah Jazz talk here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Um, Agree with Riley O'Brien on Twitter, who says, that was outstanding, Dan. Loved the Salt City Hoop show. I mean, of course, I agree with that part of it, but I thought Dan was outstanding. Great work, as always. Um, thank you, Riley, for for the nice words. Thanks, Riley. Um, we've got a half hour left in the show, and you know we're, we're coming off a 3-0 win streak for the Jazz. Uh, all of them at home. The Jazz are 5-0 and at home so far, and 0-3 and on the road. Which actually feels like the Jazz of yesteryear. Before the Quinn Snyder era, before the Ty Corbin era, the Jazz were a tremendously great team at home and were pretty average-ish on the road. And maybe we're getting back to that again. Maybe the new arena has allowed uh, the Jazz form at home to to be what it once was. I'm 
I don't know. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, renovations to stay the same. But, yeah, it's it's a throwback. It's like a, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what my point is there. Um, but it's it's good to you know honestly every single jazz game so far, uh, has been really fun. Uh, so props to I guess the Jazz for winning at home, and it's still it's still a good experience. Um, let's talk about so a couple injuries, uh, or I guess the one injury to Joe Johnson. Yep. Uh, he's going to be out for two weeks as a result of left wrist uh, tendon instability is what the release was. So it's it's not that his wrist ligaments are strained. It's not that the muscles are – whatever it is, they're instable for some reason. His wrist hurts, and they were trying to figure out why, and that's what they came up with. Uh, but he's out for at least two weeks. When he'll Then he'll be reevaluated. And stepping up and stepping in has been uh, Jonas Drebko. Finally. Or- yeah, exactly. This is really kind of the first he's played in, in real time. And he looked good last night. He yeah. hit two threes, had eight points, uh, and rebounded the ball really well. He had seven rebounds in, in those 20 minutes. Um, played some surprising... I, I'm surprised that he played as much as he did. Obviously, Joe Johnson played a lot of minutes, but that Jonas kind of stepped in and took up basically all of those minutes. Yeah. Joe Johnson averaging 19.1 minutes a game. Uh, Tabo had 20 last night, or sorry, not Tabo. Jonas had 20 last night. Um, was was impressive. Yeah, I I was a big fan of the of the Jonas signing. Um, this is kind of the role that I saw that he was going to be filling. Um, was being that stretch four that the that the Jazz don't necessarily have. He that's that's his job. He can step out. He can hit threes. He showed that last night, and I'm curious to see how they kind of work him and Joe Johnson in the rotation a little bit later on. Yeah. I mean, so Joe Johnson had really been bad yeah. early in the season. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say that, you know, he's, he's not washed. It's probably too soon to say that, but he was not making threes whatsoever. I mean, he's shooting 11% from the three right now. He's two for 17 overall. That's harsh. Um, Joe Johnson being on the jazz. And by the way, it's still incredible that he is on the jazz. Like that's still a free agent signing that came really out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, you can pitch yourself. It's okay. (laughs) But I love that he will dominate a possession and hit a ridiculously tough shot. And then on the next one, pass it to a teammate to get a wide open shot. Um, I, you know, kind of that, heat check mentality i guess i don't think he has that in him he's he's kind of makes the right basketball play and i think that's something that joe johnson really hasn't gotten enough credit for um as a as a member of the jazz or in his nba career yeah sharing the sugar that's always appreciated sharing the sugar sharing the sugar okay um we'll see again joe johnson out for two weeks we'll see if he can come back um the other thing that the Jazz have kind of hit on in this three-game winning streak is playing Donovan Mitchell at the point and playing Alec Burks at the two, Howell Neto kind of out of the rotation, to be honest. Yep. And while, again, Donovan Mitchell has made a lot of mistakes at the point guard and doesn't look like a natural point guard at all, and sometimes that unit has trouble scoring, that lineup's really good defensively, even though Alec Burks is out there on the floor for a lot of it. Yeah, Um it's kind of. I thought that was kind of an interesting lineup to see Mitchell been playing point guard as well. I personally always thought of him as a as a two guard, mm-hmm. um, even though he's undersized. You would say right six three right. Um, for a shooting guard at least. He seems like he's a little in bit in the undersized. NBA. Yeah, yeah. Um, he'd be probably right around the good normal size for point guard, but he plays. I felt so much more like a shooting guard and um, defensively. I mean, you you can't argue with the results, but 
I, I'm still intrigued to see how that uh, lineup works throughout the rest of the year. The other thing that Quinn's been doing, and it, it's been pretty brilliant, I, at least I think, is he's pulled Ricky Rubio early in the first quarter with something like five or six minutes into the game, yep. put Donovan Mitchell in there early to run the point, but when he's still playing with, say, Joe Ingles, who can be the playmaker and have the ball in his hands a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and that allows Donovan to be the, the nominal point guard and still you know run a lot of plays, but not as many as if Joe Ingles was off the court. Um, and then, you know, at the end of that first quarter, put Ricky Rubio back in, move Donovan over to the two. Um, and so, yeah, you're playing Ricky Rubio 34 minutes a night, but that's, you know, that's how much starters should play. Yeah. So uh, I've been, uh, kind of, you know, I think that's been a solution that's worked and has made the Jazz's offense uh, maybe not slow down to a halt as as frequently as it did in the first five games. Yeah, and and. Playing positionless is seems to be the, the trend in the NBA too. Just mm-hmm. just plug and play, put these guys in, let them do their thing on the court. And Donovan Mitchell, I think, is a good example of positionless basketball. He's 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 a good point guard. Um, he's demonstrated. I mean, it, it, he's going to grow. I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, but he has the tools and he has the I think the willingness to learn and the willingness to to shift position into uh, you know he's not concrete in one uh, particular thing he's willing to uh to move around and i i i I like that that he's that he's got that positionless uh basketball too yeah the other um maybe position change and we've talked a little bit about tabo suffolosh on the show today but he's been playing some at the four as well which is not something he's done a ton of in his nba career Mm -hmm. and that's that's been that's been a nice touch i mean the Jazz have gone with big lineups for most of these minutes, you know, either with Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert yep. or Derek Favors and Ekpe Udo or even Ekpe and Rudy Gobert lineups at times, although that doesn't work that well. Yep. Now with Joe Johnson, who really exclusively has been playing at the four all season long and for really since the middle of last year, now with him out, now Jonas Drebko steps up into that four spot. Um, and Tabo Cephalosha can play there a little bit too, and, and the Jazz finished with that small look last night. Um, Portland, again, was also playing small like they have for the last four seasons, and uh, it really worked. I mean, that, that I th- felt that lineup really turned the game around and won it for them both in the fourth quarter and overtime. And I'm a big fan of Tabo Cephalosha. I mean, he he's he's another one that he can switch and he can defend, you know, one through four. I mean, you know, one through five sometimes, you know, depending on who – who the center is, but mm-hmm. he's somebody that can uh, play off of uh, screens. He can get around, um, and in the in the Northwest Division, where you've got uh, teams like uh, the Thunder that have Paul George and Carmelo Anthony out on the wings, um, having somebody like Tabo Cephalosha is essential in defending a team like that. Yeah, ag- agreed. And again, yeah, they showed it off against Portland last night. Um, Toronto comes in tomorrow, and it'll be interesting to see who they they start. Um, they've had actually some really good success, success with former Utah guys, Yaka Pertle and DeLon Wright in the lineup, um, kind of making their presence known as, as second and third year players. I got my haircut today and my barber actually used to be, uh, um, Yaka Portal's barber too. And okay. he told me I got a business card in case I run into Yaka or something. I might have to give it to you to give it to him. They were like, you know, tell him to come back. You know, I, <laughs> they said I remember when he was a starving college student eating ramen noodles every night. Yeah, okay. tell him to come back. Well, Kyle Kyle Kuzma just came in playing for the Lakers yeah. uh, on Saturday, and he said while he was here, he went to his barber and got in, got him like he, he doesn't trust new barbers easily. So it's, he had to wait until he came into Utah to get his haircut. 
barber relationships are very important. You don't want to cheat on your barber. Um, I've, I've run into that situation many a times where you just, you stay loyal to the person that cut your hair because that's a very important thing. They could, they could ruin your day if you're not loyal. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so far this season, the, obviously the Raptors are, are a team somewhat similar to the Trailblazers in that, you know, they get all their scoring from their two starting guards, yes. uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. Yep. Um, the big difference for the Raptors this season is that they're shooting a ton of three point shots, which is not something we've seen from the Raptors, uh, you know, at all. They're actually 12th in the league in three point attempts this year. Last year, let me look it up real quick. They were, drumroll please, 22nd. So, that's a lot more three-point shots they're taking, and you know, as a result, their offense is is really good. They're eighth eighth in the league. Uh, it's good to see from. It's not Demar Derozan taking these shots; he's only taking one a game. But it's Kyle yeah. Lowry, Serge Ibaka, and really a big addition for them has been C.J. Miles, who's shooting six a game. Yeah, you know, Demar Derozan's never been a three-point threat that I can imagine, uh, but Kyle Lowry definitely. Um, it's nice to see those guys. Uh, extend the offense and try to move out towards the three-point line because, like you said, we, this is something that we'd never seen uh, Toronto do. And I listened to uh, their GM the other day on a podcast with your uh, favorite guy, Bill Simmons, mm. and um, it, he was it was I uh, Masai Masai Ujiri Ujiri that's his name yeah he was brilliant and um, the way that he talked especially about international scouting and um, uh, getting uh, Serge Ibaka and how crucial that was to like his whole master plan. I thought that was, I thought that was brilliant. Toronto's a fun team to watch. I've always, I've always kind of had a, a thing for Toronto in the distance. Yeah, no, they're, they are an interesting team. And, you know, again, I, they really stand to benefit from, uh, the Boston Celtics perhaps falling off, although really they haven't over the last week and a half. Um, if, you know, should that happen due to the Gordon Hayward injury, uh, Raptors could be one, two, three in the in the Eastern Conference, and then they'll lose in the semifinals. Like they always lose. like they yeah, always do. That's, that's uh, maybe true. Maybe <laughs> maybe because they take threes now, they play smart basketball. Maybe it might work. This is their year. CJ Miles is the key. All right, we, we'll talk a little bit more about tomorrow's matchup. And I've got an interesting question for you: Has the Jazz's performance so far this season changed what you think is possible for the rest of the year? We'll ask that to you next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. I'm Andy Larson, Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com, uh, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com as well. Uh, Marcos here is joining me. Marcos Aragon, he's a KSL.com contributor. Ben Anderson is out for this week, but he'll be back next week, so it's it's all good. It's all um, good. JP Chunga has been our producer today. He is a solid producer, and every break he comes in with a big question. Of whatever he wants to talk about. So far today, we've had, uh, barbershop questions. Yep. We've had, uh, he came in and asked us if we could only have three smells for the rest of our lives, what three smells would we choose? Only three. Do you know what we, the, sidebar here, the most important smell to have is gasoline. <laughs> that's, <laughs> we stumbled like, into that. Yeah. It sounds like that's not one you would want to have, but that's the one that's keeping you alive every day. If we can somehow work out the, the the brain cell killing part of gasoline, I think that's a fine smell. I I think the smell is real bad, but <laughs> it's never if there's been a signed. gas leak, <laughs> it's, it's then a, I know about it, and that's crucial. It's a good point. I you know I will give up the smell of cookies oh. if I can stay alive for a little bit longer. Living is good. 
I had uh, grass clippings after rain smell and coffee, and I will give up coffee every single time to live and, <laughs> and continue to breathe. Yeah. One of my favorite things that I do. Yeah, right. No, that makes sense. Uh, what else do you come in here with? Ghosts. Ghosts? Ghosts. We talked about ghosts. The scariest thing that has ever happened in our lives. And that's where Marcos went on a ghost hunting tour this week. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was last week. Uh, I took a ghost tour at the Fear Factory, okay. uh, which used to be the Portland Cement Factory way back in the day. A uh-huh. uh, lot of industrial accidents led to a lot of people lose- losing their lives. And the factory is allegedly haunted. And uh, it was a very interesting experience to go in and go with people that are supposed professional ghost hunters and uh experience they are professional ghost hunters they get I, paid to to pretend to look for ghosts i'm an amateur ghost hunter at this point now i feel like <laughs> I, maybe i can get a show uh do you believe in ghosts after after that experience i don't i don't believe in ghosts but there it was it was hard to explain what happened there you know the only paranormal thing that we did was the little sticks moved and we asked questions it was like a ouija board so until i unless there's like a picture of a ghost with his face right over my shoulder that i didn't see until then uh the 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 jury's still out yeah i'm i'm pretty objectively out on ghosts i just i don't think they're real paranormal activity was the scariest set of movies i ever saw in my entire life yeah, they can be scary. I, I I get that. Like movies are are fun and good scary time, but yeah, they're they're not real. Yeah, I don't believe they're real. the The scariest movie that I've ever seen though is The Strangers. If you've ever seen that, oh, oh what is it? That's a good one. Tell oh, me about The Strangers. Okay, two sentence synopsis. Okay, so uh, random people decide to start robbing and killing you. How does that sound? Just in random? mass. Oh in wow, mass. that's not good. And they have a song that cues them in, and they destroy your life. Oh well. Gotta gotta avoid that. <laughs> exactly. The whole randomness that, of it yeah, that, really that is terrifying. destroyed me. That that's fair. That yep. that is scary. Uh all right, so we've got what, three minutes left in the show. I wanna ask you the question I asked you before we go- went to break was yes. has anything you've seen in the first eight games of this jazz season, the Jazz are five and three, changed how you feel about their overall outlook for the rest of the year? Um I I don't think it's changed how I imagine the team will finish at the end of the year. I still think the team's going to be somewhere around the the five to eight range in the okay. playoffs. I think they'll make the playoffs. Still, I, I have I have a strong suspicion they'll make the playoffs. Uh, October basketball is really hard to grade. We're going to be looking at things now, um, or I'm sorry, looking you know in the future, looking back on some of these things in October, being like, well, that was that was then. Let them work it out. I don't think that. This sort of thing changes how I feel about the team, though. I think they're still okay. going to be right on where I thought they were. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I mean, you you look at what we expected from this team, and it's kind of happening. I mean, uh, they're third in the league defensively, just yep. like they were last year. Yep. They've they're better than they were last year, but I think that's kind of variance. And you know, again, uh, it's it's fair to expect kind of the league to get better as the season goes along, Absolutely. especially with the shorter preseason. Um, that it feels like teams have been a little bit rusty or you know not all the way together in the first couple of weeks yeah you know we're on november 2nd right you know in most seasons there'd only be one or two games by now rather than eight so yeah. um i do think the scoring will come up the jazz are 26th in the league offensively that's that's low we knew it was going to be rough i think they can still improve on that yep um you know sure ricky rubio is not going to shoot that well even guys like rodney hood who had a bad night last night probably isn't going to shoot 45 percent from the three or one um, from 11 yeah right but right zero for 11 zero for 11 yeah. <laughs> um 
that being said, Donovan Mitchell is going to be more efficient. You know, he's not going to shoot 35% for the year. No. Um, I think we're going to start seeing more from Rudy Gobert. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing more from the Jazz's bench as well in terms of, of scoring the ball. And in, in particular, I don't think the turnovers, they're not going to be last in the league in turnovers um, based on the, the history of the players that they had. Yeah. Um, and I think they can start figuring out things on the offensive glass as well, given how good Rudy Gobert is at that. Yeah, I'm going to say, what are you going to say? Uh, what did you have your win total at before the season started? 45 wins. Okay, I think I said 43, but I think right around there. I'm, I'm with you. In between okay. 43 to 45, I think we can we can agree on. Yeah, no, I think that's that's safe and that's, that's fair to expect. Um, the Jazz play the Toronto Raptors tomorrow um, here at in Salt Lake City at Vivian Arena. That game's at 7 o'clock. Um, earlier on in the show, we had just a quick wrap-up. We had... Eric Woodyard, the new Deseret News beat writer for the uh, Utah Jazz. I guess, excited, honestly. yeah, excited for his stuff. Yeah, um, just moved here this week. Came at halftime of a Jazz game and was like, "This is, you know, that's was flew in directly from Detroit, so that's cool." He is from Flint, Michigan, um, and then uh, so we had him. Uh, this interview, you can listen to any of these interviews, by the way, later as a podcast on uh, ESPN 700 Sports or SaltCityHoops.com. Uh, we've got Dan Clayton as well, the associate editor of Salt City Hoops, joined us for about 20 minutes in the 8 o'clock segment, so you can listen to that as part of the, the Salt City Hoops podcast. We are available as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, um, and of course on those websites, saltcityhoops.com and ESPN 700. But I want to give a quick shout out to JP Chunga for producing with us, and Marcos for you stepping in for Ben today. Pleasure to um, do it. Thank you for asking me. No problem. Happy to have you here. This has been the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700.